Photo Mission Exposure, a podcast for photographers. Well, Richard, um, welcome to Photo Mission Exposure. Um, thanks for coming along today. We're going to have a bit of a chat about photography and where you, you know, where your photography's at. Um, and I would normally always start with, when did you first pick up the camera? What age did you pick up the camera? Um, well, Steve, first of all, th- thanks for having me here. Um, got to say, I've got big shoes to fill following on from people like Colin Baker. But anyway, so we're in, we're in good company here. But um, I mean, first time I picked up a camera was, um, I, I guess it was in primary school. Um, once once I went to high school, they had they had a camera club there. Uh, we had we had a dark room where we used to develop film and print and uh, went through that era. Um, and we, we talked last week about um, on the last show about um, dark rooms and and it was funny because um, Colin mentioned fixer the mm. smell of fixer and that's one thing if you've been in a dark room you always remember the smell of fixer. Yes, yeah, some people like it, some people don't. I, I wouldn't say it's a favourite of mine, but uh, I, you know, I, I do know people actually quite think the, the smell of fixes is, is quite nice. But anyway, each to their own. But well, it's, like, it's like at the drags, the, the, the um, you know, the, the nitrate. Exactly, exactly. We'll get we'll get onto that. Subject we'll get onto that subject very shortly. Yeah. So, so what what type of camera would you've been using back then? Can you remember what you would have had? Was it? Um... Oh well, Pentax was the was the camera that. Um, I had a couple of Kodaks, but when I was at school, I used Pentax. The school had a uh, an arrangement with Pentax at the time, uh, so we could get uh, Pentax at a you know a reasonable price that uh, my mother could afford, um, and that that's where we that's where I kicked off was with with a Pentax and um, two lenses. I think it was a oh, I can't remember now. It was a I know one was a wide angle and one was fairly telephoto, but nothing. Nothing to the you know the level what we're using today. So yeah, I mean, look, technology has changed so much from that era. Mm. Um, the cameras we shoot with today are very different. Obviously, the mm. quality and the and the lens selection and all that type of stuff. So, so with that early exposure to photography at school, um, where did it go? Like after school, did you continue to, to be a hobby photographer, or what did well, you do? After I left school, I actually continued to work as a photographer as a as a second job. Um, I was doing my apprenticeship at the time in business machines, um, and a first-year apprentice isn't a highly paid job. Um, but I, I was fortunate enough to connect with a. Uh, he went on to be quite a um, very prominent uh, wedding photographer here in Brisbane, a fellow by the name of Chris Hall, uh, and he was just starting out in photography, and he had his own business, and we used to um, sell. Uh, Five dollar Polaroid photographs. We used to go into restaurants and annoy people. And okay, say, yep. You have a good night um, and try and sell them a five dollar Polaroid. Um, quite a big thing back in the days because the Polaroid was relatively new, and you, know, you pay five dollars, got a card, memento, you know, romantic night. Because um, back then the 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 dating generation they um, they used to go out for dinner and the nightclub scene wasn't as big then and so, there was so, there wasn't tinder or, or, or no there no there was none of that so they actually they, they went out on dates and so for them to have a moment of the night it was quite popular and we, we used to do very very well um in, in my time with chris hall we um also shot a lot of school formals uh and i 
did work with him as the second photographer at a lot of weddings. Um, Chris went on to be uh, an award-winning wedding photographer. He uh, doesn't do it anymore. He, he's moved on to other things, but uh, it was quite a quite a good time. So that was really a good. That was a really good apprenticeship, really to. To, to kind of be involved in seeing how that worked. And I suppose the other thing too, I mean, it gave you a bit of understanding about business. It did. Business of photography because I think that's one of the challenges for most photographers today. There's a lot of talented photographers, but they aren't don't have a business head. No. And this is where they struggle to try and make money out of photography. Mm. Um, so you did that. Did you move? Did you then move away from photography for a bit? Or what did you do? Well, I, I did just through... Through my own, um, I, I then um, I, I raced. I was a cyclist, and I raced on velodromes, um, and that took up quite a lot of my spare time. Uh, so, so the second job went, um, and the cycling became very much, um, very much absorbed in that. Yep. A lot of tra- um, a lot of trainings, a lot of hours on the bike. Just it was. I yeah. mean, I, I went on to compete at national level. Yep. Um, and so once you get to that, it's it's seven days a week. You you've got to live it, breathe it, eat it. Yeah. Um, your day job gives you the income to buy bike parts. Yeah. So there was that era that that I really didn't pick have much to do with the camera. But I always did play with it. Like even when we go away cycling, I'd always take a camera with me of some sort. And I used to love taking pictures. Yep. yep. Mm. And so, when did when did it kind of turn around? And and I mean, now you do a fair amount of photography for your professional stuff. Mm. And I mean, um, essentially, you're an event photographer. Mm. Um, and you want to talk about some of the types of events that you kind of shoot at the moment? Um, well, I probably 15 years ago, I um, because my my line of work went down the IT uh, channel, and I was creating websites for different people and um, working in the IT industry. Um, I connected with a father and son team, Victor and Ben Bray, and they, they at the time, had a um, great mechanical knowledge, um, but uh, computer technology was, was coming into motorsport as far as telemetry, data um, acquisition, things like that. So I connected with those guys and we... Um, I was able to bring an assistance of IT skills along with it and then also um, built them a website. We, we did some great things. Um, we, we were the first to have live results available online, etc., etc. And I used to, then as that all evolved, I then started writing Victor's pre and post media releases. Um, not that English was my favourite subject at school, but I ended up doing that for, for Victor. Um, and it was always... I got um, got to the point where I was always waiting for the local photographers to supply photos, and they never wanted. They never seemed to want to hang them out because if they got a great photograph, they want, yeah, that was their business. They wanted yes, to try yeah. and sell it, and, and that's all fair enough. Um, so there was the case of then I picked the camera up again, and I just took my own photograph. So I, I was basically the master of my own destiny, sort of thing with yep. that. So I could have my photographs, and and I, I guess that sparked the the love of it again um you know as far so that was as far as like the motorsport goes but the other um you know over the last 15 years i've um shot quite a lot of fashion parades um and my connection with that well because my connection with fashion parades really 
I uh, went back to my days with Chris Hall um, because when Chris was starting out, um, lunch times there used to be uh, fashion parades in the Queen Street Mall. Yep. Uh, there was a, a young girl I went to school with, Tony Jean Peters. She became a, quite a, a prominent model here in Brisbane and she was just sort of making a name for herself. So, you know, we'd remain friends. So I used to rush in, you know, my lunch break, we'd go into the city. Tony Jean was on the on the runway there. I'd take photographs of, of her and then give her the, the photograph. We'd, we'd try and get them developed and then she would use the photographs in her portfolio. And it, and it grew from there. And that's probably where I, I originally started with um, shooting fashion runway. Yep. Um, I've, I've always enjoyed the, the Echo. Well, anyone who's grown up in Brisbane yep. loves the Echo. And I've been fortunate enough to be part of the media team at the exhibition for quite a quite a number of years. Um, and during my time there, it was so the last, uh, well, for 25 years, a, a gentleman by the name of Lindsay Bennett ran the fashion parades there. Yep. Um, and there was this one year that I um, ended up sitting in the front row with my wife and I was, some friends of ours were sitting on the other side of the runway. Anyway, I was trying to capture the photograph of our friend sitting on the other side of the runway as the model walked down. So we got, anyway, the photograph turned out very well and um, Lindsay saw it and we, we connected and uh, we've been friends ever since. Uh, Lindsay went on to run the fashion parades there for, for 25 years and then he, um, he is also the director of Mercedes-Benz Fashion Festival. So yep. that's where my connection there goes. Um, and that's been great, the, the Mercedes-Benz Fashion Festival, it's, it's you know, the number one show here in Brisbane. Um, since Lindsay's given away, um, given away the exhibition, uh, a lady by the name of Laura Churchill's taken over. So because I was already doing the exhibition, I've ended up connecting with Laura. And Laura now also runs the Brisbane Fashion Festival, Fa Brisbane Fashion Month. Uh, it goes on in October here, yep. based around the Winter Garden. Um, so I'm probably very, very lucky that I'm actually a photograph for two of the biggest names in fashion directors yep. in, in Queensland. And, you know, I'm sure that those two would be highly regarded actually nationally. Yes. Yeah. Um, for the work they do in, in fashion. They're, they're two brilliant minded people when it comes to putting um, fashion festivals together. Yep. Um, I think the, the joy of, of um, shooting runway is it's, you know, models make them, models want to look perfect. That's just the nature of, yep. of a model. They, they want to look perfect. Um, you know, you, you, you can stand on the end of the runway and you can wait for the model to come down and stop in front of you uh, on cue to pose for the camera. And yes, you can capture that photograph. And that's the majority of the photographs that you will be asked to capture so that um, there is a record of every garment that, that was on, on the parade. But my real joy is actually capturing them in motion. Yes, yep. And making them look good because to capture someone walking, um, you know, there's certain parts of the walk where arms are flicking out to the sides and facial expressions. And to be able to nail a great photograph of a model looking at her best on a perfect step is, is very, well, it's like very rewarding. And, and it's, it's not the easiest of photographs to capture either. But, you know, to come away from a fashion parade and you've been able to nail every model, um, 
you know, it, it's it's great. It's it's a skill. And look at in street photography, it's called the um, decisive moment. Mm. You know, the, that time that you pick where that person is, where their arms are, like you said, where their head is, where they're looking. Mm. And sometimes, if you can pick that moment, um, it becomes a magical photograph because yes. you've just frozen that point in time. You know, um, you know, a little bit before, a little bit after. Um, and sometimes, you know, from the you, your camera, you, you'll take it up with two, one or two shots and, and they're, just, they're rubbish, so they just mm. don't work. Um, and you've got this magic shot in the middle there that everything just works. Mm. And that, that's probably like, I mean, for a lot of photographers, that's the joy about um, having shooting something that you actually enjoy as well. You know, um, you know you, a lot of photographers will talk about they'll do a particular job for a period of time and if they fall out of love with it, then it's difficult just to go through the motions and take the pictures, but you've still got that kind of desire to to try and capture the photograph because you're doing it for yourself but you're also doing it for the model mm. because they they love seeing that and then obviously encourage you know people love to see themselves looking good yeah it, it's no doubt about it um it's kind of interesting that you've got the motorsport and the um fashion runway stuff because they're both very fast moving events mm. like you don't have much time to, to no around. no you don't and you, and you have to you have to get it you have to get it right and, and i think that's the the draw card of it, Steve, is that um, I, I don't, you know, as far as a motorsport, you, you could take a photograph of that car sitting on the start line. Um, and yes, that'll, that'll, that'll be an okay photograph. But if you can grab that car at a decisive moment when it's just launched um, and you can capture the rear wheels with, with the tires are wrinkling. The, the distortion, and, and, yeah. Yeah, the distortion of it because of the horsepower and you know, and the front wheels have lifted off the ground. It's a split second. It's a split of a split of a second, really. Yep. It happens that quick. And to be able to capture that, um, it, it's very rewarding. Yeah. Um, very, very rewarding. The, the, other, the other beauty about uh, fashion parades for me is that um, I've got a 19 and 20-year-old daughters, daughters and, and a wife, and they all want to come to work with me. So, yep. you know, there's, uh, it, it's great to be in that position too. You know, with um... well, I think because for a lot of photographers, you know, if you're a, if you're a kind of landscape photographer, mm. um, your family don't want to know about them. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it is, it is, um, you know, sometimes landscape photography can, you know, an hour's gone by, and, and you've you still haven't got the right moment. Yep, um, and you might have to go back the next day and shoot the same place. That's right, and, and that's and that's that's one of the challenges I think with landscape photographers too. Like, if you're shooting sunrises or sunset, you can get up very very early, drive distance to get yourself in a good position, and it'd be a non-event. Mm. You're shooting something like a runway, you know there's going to be there's going to be something there special to capture. You don't know when it's going to happen, no, but you know there's going to be some moments there that are going to be kind of special, mm. and that's I think you know it's, it's that thrill of the kill mm. type thing. So. Because, yeah, I, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to come along and actually watch your work mm-hmm. and actually um, and do it. So I, I, I get, I've got a really good, you know, appreciation now of what you do because having seen, and I wouldn't have thought the um, speed that you have to kind of react. You don't really have time to muck around. You really, because yeah. the, the model, it's like a rotisserie. They just keep coming. I know. It, it, just, <laughs> it, is, it comes at you very, very, and it's just constant. Yeah. Um, and, and the majority of them go for an hour. So... You're standing in the same position, and you're. I, I tend to um, get in the rhythm to the beat of the music. Yep. Um, particularly for like um, 
Brisbane Fashion Month and Mercedes-Benz Fashion Festival, they, they have got top-of-the-range garments and they've got the top-of-the-range models. They all walk to the beat of the music. Yes. Um, so it's, it is, if you get yourself in the rhythm of the beat of the music, it is actually, it makes it easier to, to capture those moments because you can foot their feet down at the right time and lifting at the right yep. time because they're walking in time into the music it's kind of like i mean i've talked to a lot of sports photographers and sports photographers will say you need to understand the game that you're mm. capturing because you're kind of anticipating mm. where the play is going to go for the ball what the play is going to be and, and that's virtually what you're talking about there you can't understand how the model interacts with the the music interacts with the runway and then you can kind of be in that zone as well and that helps you be able to, to capture those moments. Mm. So with the um, with your current stuff that you do with the you know exhibition, there's lots of diversity, I suppose, in an event like that because you've got what type of things would you capture at the RNA show? Um, well, at the RNA show, I'm I'm contracted with um, they called QCAS, which is the um, events body that that run um, dairy cattle judging. Um, but they, they run all the judging for dairy cattle, young leaders parader, young beef parader. So you're, you've got all the youth that are, are learning to lead cattle. Um, and so you, you have to capture there again another moment of not only the person looking good walking, yep. but also the cattle well, at, at, a, at a particular Well, the other challenge well. there is models know how to look. Mm. Models know how to, to to present themselves, hold themselves. They know how to work. A lot of them know how to work the camera. Mm. But obviously, when you're shooting um, in that situation, they, those people haven't, probably haven't had much exposure to a camera at all. No, and, and they've come from the country. So the you know, the, particularly with the young ones that come down, they, they come from the country. And they they arrive here in Brisbane, and it's like you know the exhibition is twenty times bigger than their local show. Yep. Um, but um, yeah, it's still good. And then, of course, as the night goes on, of course, you then have fireworks to capture of a night time. Um, there's all the, yeah, the colour and, and uh, flair of Sideshow Alley. Well, there's all the personalities too, because, mm. I mean, those type of shows bring out, there's a lot of, you know, and there's some, you know, from the bush, there's some great, mm. there's some great personalities, um, you know, um, that you'd probably be exposed to and see. At, at the show as well. So, I mean, have, what, what's been one of your most memorable moments at the RNA? I, I think the most memorable shot that I ever had to take was um, the Saturday night um, 2017. First Saturday night 2017, uh, Brooke Schubert, who had been in Team Seal on The Voice, yep. uh, she was playing in the Forex Stockman's Bar. Uh, and she was to come on at like nine o'clock at night or something like that. Anyway, so I was photographing the Rural Ambassadors Awards and that finished and then I had until 11 o'clock to photograph a picture of Brooke playing at the Cattleman's Bar. Any, uh, sorry, the Stockman's Bar. Um, I, I got up there on, on the Saturday night and it was just packed. It was full. And the first Saturday night of, of, of the Ecker is... All everybody from the bush is here, and this, this is their f- first big night that the yep. competition's actually finished for them. And they all get together, and they all drink rum, and they're all having a great time. 
and to try and get through a crowd like that to get a photograph, to get to the front to try and get a photograph, um, it, it was out of the question. It was, it was just not going to happen. I couldn't get through. Um, so the end result was um, Brooke actually knew that I was coming to take the photograph of her. So that, that part was okay. I got up on a table at the back of the bar and stood there and fired my flash at her from the back. Yep, just to let her know, hey, I'm here. I, I, I sent, let the flash off a few times. That captured her attention, and it was just at the right moment. She looked straight down the lens. There was people's arms going left, right, and centre, and I, I hit the button, and, and she was looking straight down the lens and smiling at the right time. Yep. And, and it was just, I had to pick that moment. I had to get her attention. Oh, I was a good 50 metres away, and, and 500 people in front of me. Yep. Like It was just... How am I going to do this? And yeah. that was what I came up with. And, and that's, look, that's one of the challenges too, being an event photographer. You get a shot list, so there's some shots that you just have to get. Mm. They're, you know, they're part of your job. You've got to go out and get it. And like I said, there's a lot of challenges. And like I said, you know, that, that, that group of people in that bar, they weren't, they weren't really caring about what you had to do. They had their own agenda. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then you've got the issue of security. don't want you standing on a table either. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say, you're the OH&S. It was all done very safely, of course. Yes. We'll leave it at that. We're going to the next subject now. <laughs> so, um, outside of the outside of the motorsport stuff that you've done and and the um, fashion photography, what what have been some of the highlights of? And and this not, doesn't have to be um, stuff that you've done um, paid work, but this could be just personal photography. What kind of been a highlight for your personal photography? Gee, I, I'd, I'd really have to say um, that. Spending three days with um, Jay Collier from Canon Collective in Melbourne. Yeah, we we flew to Adelaide. Uh, Lake Air gets water in it once every well, I don't know, I think blue like, moon. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's very very rare. Rare. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was fortunate enough this year that the ducks lined up. The water came into the top of the lake, and that was on the Saturday. And on the following Thursday, I was on a flight to Adelaide. Uh, I, met, I met Jay and uh, Steve Huddy on the Friday morning. We then flew to um, Olympic Dam. Then we picked up from Olympic Dam in a really small plane, very very small. For you know, I've never been a lover of those small planes with the propellers and yes, yeah, and only hold six people in them. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we then flew to William Creek, landed at William Creek. The phone didn't work for there was just there was just no coverage, um, and we spent Friday, Saturday, Sunday flying over the north of, of Lake Eyre and the south of Lake Eyre. We we drove out and, and actually captured photographs standing on Lake Eyre, um, and it was just uh, we flew around in in a plane. The side of the plane was off for for the whole. The yep. whole time, the doors except, off. except for except for takeoff and landing, the, the door was open, um, and there was also you know, we changed positions throughout the flight, so the door got shut and we changed position, then reopened it, and yeah, uh, that that was quite exhilarating. And to fly fly around at five hundred feet above sea level and um, to capture some of that, and it was just it was just like a massive opal, oh, kilometres and kilometres yeah. wide. Um, because you've got all the, the iron ore with this salt layer over the top of it, and then the water seeps in between it, and 
Um, all the dry creek beds have all picked up colour and just this magnificent, um, just absolutely astonishing to see. You have yep. to actually take it in a bit first before you could actually photograph it because... It'd be like daunting, where do you start? Exactly. And, and it was just continual. Yep. It just went on and on and on. But we were there for, we were there for three days. Um, and it was quite funny because we spent the majority of the time in, in the air. We went up in the morning, came down, had lunch, went back up in the afternoon... And so we did that Friday afternoon, all day Saturday, and then Sunday morning, and then Sunday night, we then flew back home, Olympic Dam, Adelaide. And I remember when we got off in Adelaide, I actually felt, I thought, oh, the ground's moving. Yep. And it was just been, that motion been, of you've been in the air for so long. long. Um, yes, I'd have to say that was probably the... And, and that was like one of those things, like when you knew that you were going to go and do that, um, you had an expectation of what it was going to be like. Mm. And how different was it from... Oh, it, it was nothing what I expected it to be. Yeah. And, and, I, and I've got to say, Steve, it probably, I don't know whether it's an age thing, but it took me a week to get over it because it was just when you arrived there and I knew it was going to be good and you sort of have this excitement build up and I didn't sleep properly the night beforehand and then yep. the whole, you ran on adrenaline for three days and it yep. just took ages to come down off it because it ended up being way better than it actually than, than you thought it could be, yeah. yeah. And some of those experiences like that, you can't, it, it is very hard. And like when mm. you get into that situation, people who've been there obviously can appreciate it. Mm. Um, so that, that's, you know, I think that's a really kind of thing that people should try and do if they ever mm. get the opportunity. It sounds like it's, it's well worth doing. What are some of the other things that you've been, I mean, you've done a bit of travelling and you've been to obviously different places and the type of photography that you've seen away from Australia, what have you captured anything? Um, I've got a thousand plus photos from Vietnam, probably the same from Hong Kong. Um, a different you, style of photo that you take here? Yeah, it's more a, you're trying to capture the culture um, when, you, when you go to some, an Asian country. Um, and that, uh, you know, just you, you, Vietnam is like, Five million motorbikes in in a city. Yeah, I don't know exactly. No, but quite quite a it's, lot. It's just like it seems to be like a hive of bees coming towards you. And it's this <laughs> motorbike, and every motorbike looks different. And there's you know there's whole families on motorbikes. There's like you know there's a motorbike coming down the street with mother, father, and three kids on it. Yeah, I don't know if you're a Top Gear fan, but I can just remember they did a Top Gear guys did a a Vietnam thing, mm. and they had these crazy motorbikes. They all jumped on, and mm. and that's obviously you know they did that because that's how the locals get around. Mm. So, do you yeah. think um, do you think travel and photography? I mean, the relationship between travel and photography. Um, how do you think that kind of fits together? Um, I think you've got to be very you've got to be very careful with travel photography if you're if you're away with your family, um, because you know photographers in general. We're very very passionate about what we do, and, and you're passionate that the, you know, you capture the right photograph. Um, but the thing is, of course, you've got the issue that if you stop to take the photograph you actually want, you hold the family up, and and you know it, it's all about the holiday. You, yeah. your, your photography has to has to come second. I, yeah. I feel I I probably learnt that on um, my trip to Vietnam. Um, Reflecting on the trip, I thought, you know, I spent too much time mucking around with that camera. I shouldn't yep. have. 
And um, but photographers listening to this will understand that because mm. <clears throat> photographers do think differently from how a normal person sees the world. Because as soon as you presented with a whole lot of new scenes and um, environments, mm. the first thing you're doing is you're thinking about how can how can I capture this? <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and I think that you know the you know our best time of the day is early in the morning and, and late in the day. Um, so if you think you, you want to get a sunset, I think you get up early, leave a note in your hotel room saying, I've just gone down to the waterfront, capturing a photograph of, of the island from the other side, I'll be back at 8 o'clock. Yep. Um, and then throughout the day, you know, really you need to just capture uh, family moments. Yep. And that, that should be your, that, that's I think the thing to do with, is capture your family and, and be able to sort of like diarise it with a photograph that you, you were here on, on this day yep. uh, and, and that's what was there. Because everything changes. I mean, you go, go back to a place next year and it's, it's different. Gone. And the, the other thing too, I mean, and we've talked about this on, on um, Exposure Before, to photographers about some, sometimes there's places where you just put the ca- have to put the camera down hmm. and just take it in um, and just process what's happening around it because um, the camera to some degree insulates you from what's going on because you get absorbed in that. You do. You, you miss a lot of things. You miss a lot of stuff. And someone will say, oh, did you see? Oh, no, I didn't see it. I was actually busy taking a photograph of that that guy, you know, beating that, you know, whatever he was making on the side of the road mm. there. And you didn't see something else that was really interesting. Mm. I think that's always the balance for photographers. Like when you do travel with family, you do have to kind of, mm. you know, work out how you can keep the whole thing meshed together. And, and yeah, not, you do. I mean, you've got to like, well, we're forever telling our children, put the phone down, put the, you know, the youth of today's in and be stuck to the phone. Um, and then you go away on holidays and you're stuck to your camera mm-hmm. and then you are stuck to your laptop editing your photographs so that you can post them online. I mean, it's just, you know, you're just as bad, yeah. <laughs> really, if that's what you're going to do. That's it. Well, that's a good segue too for the next question about is, you know, what you do with your workflow. How much of your work is straight out of camera stuff and how much do you... Um, do you do some post on your stuff normally? Is that what you'd normally do, or do you? Uh, as far as um, as far as uh, like anything, I take it a, f- a fashion runway. Yeah, yes, I do, um, because I'm always, you know, the the primary result of a fashion shoot is you you have to make that garment stand out. Yeah, that's actually what's not that's what's on display. Not not so much the model as such. The model makes the garment look good. And you have to capture that. One of the things I noticed, because like I said, I've have been fortunate enough to come along a couple of times and mm. to shoot some of the stuff you're shooting. And I do notice with a lot of a lot of the garments, especially the light coloured garments, it's really difficult sometimes because the, the highlights blow out so easy. You have to mm. be really mindful of of not having parts overexposed. Correct. It becomes a bit of a you know trying to work out where you're metering from, where you're getting your light, but you're not. Yeah, you've got this beautiful white dress that. All this great detail and all, but it all just looks like a white dress with all the detail gone. Mm. Yeah, that 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 particularly with the when when you talk wedding, when, when the uh, wedding garments come out, that's that's you, you have to like a lot of the like all our, our cameras now nowadays have so many auto settings. You know, we've got um, TV mode, we've got AV mode, um, and you've got full auto. But I, I just you can't use full auto. You can't use any of the auto settings because. Even if you just have your manual settings for your aperture and your shutter speed and you leave your ISO on auto, you're going to get caught out yeah. because sequence on, 
on dresses and um, highlights and yeah the makeup's done so perfectly and if your camera happens to meter on one of the one of the lights that's yep. lighting them the photo's gone yeah um, and that's the you just need to that's one of the other things you do you need to set your settings and everything's happening so quick but you just you need to have that odd check from time to time that that you're getting it right. Yeah. Well, the lighting conditions changes too. Like, I mean, I remember, um, you know, the last thing I was kind of with you is Queen Street Mall and you started off there's lots of ambient light. Mm. And as a, as a, the progressive shows came through, the last show, it was, you know, it was twilight. There was mm. virtually no ambient light. It was all an artificial light. So your settings change from... Yeah, I mean, that, that, that afternoon you're referring to, we, we, <coughs> had, we had four, four runway shows. Um, from, and, and the first one started at three in the afternoon, I think it was. Um, and it was a beautiful blue sky. And then I think when the second one came out, I think the grey sky had come over. Yes. And then, of course, we moved into, into night time and all that. Um, yeah, the street lights took over then and the, you know, the LED lights of the mall and the, and yeah. the actual lighting that, that Laura had <coughs> supplied there on the runway as well. Yeah. And that's always a challenge when there's mixed lighting too when you've got fashion because you've got all these different colour temperatures you're competing with too from mm. all these lighting sources trying to obviously make the skin tones look correct and so do you use what do you use Lightroom or Photoshop or what do you do for your post work um, I, I use both uh, I, I do the majority of it in Lightroom because um, Lightroom has a great cataloguing system uh, and it's very easy to um, go and search for a photograph um, you can open up Lightroom, and if I get a call, and it's because as as I as I'm importing them, I import them with the designer's name yes. as part of the metadata. Um, and you know, if you get a phone call and say, "Oh look, I, I want a, a photograph of Kimberloo from the Queen Street Mall runway," I, I can search Kimberloo um, Queen Street because I know I've saved that group of photographs with with those tags on them. And that, that's very important because, I mean, I mean that's part of the job sometimes is it's months after you've taken photos that someone will want a photo to use it. Mm. And having a system to basically catalogue them to be able to recall those pictures, like you'll know, yeah, I, know, I remember taking a picture like that. But if you don't have some type of system in place to do it, you you know, you, I mean, how many images would you take in a year, do you think? <laughs> oh, I hate, I hate to think, Steve. You know, really, that's... I wouldn't even like to hesitate a guess on that. No, and, and look, for most people who are shooting, because you shoot a lot of content, mm. um, obviously you shoot more than you normally need. Mm. Um, do you tend to find that you keep everything you shoot, or do you... Yeah, cold? a bit of a hoarder in that department. Yeah. yeah. I, if, I mean, once I get my photographs into Lightroom, I go through and I will look at all of them, and if there's some that I particularly would never want my name to them... Um, even if I think that the person I've taken the photograph would be happy with it, but if I, if it's not up to a standard that I've set for myself, I, I will delete that because it's it's just a photograph that you just don't want to see the light of day. Yeah. And as you know, there's a few. You, you end up with a few of those from from everything. Yeah, you just misfocus or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's right. You, you you're slightly off on something, and it just mm. you know the photograph's just not going to work. And and I think that, that, that that's the challenge these days too, like I said, um, because people do shoot so much content and, mm. and, and trying to work out what you keep. And I'm a bit, I'm a bit like you. I tend to keep keep probably way too much. Mm. Um, it's good to go back as a reference point, though. It's obviously very interesting times when you look back at photographs you took five years ago um, and 
you know, you, you look at where you've come from, yep, and where you are now, and sometimes you just you just forget how far you've come. And I think that's a really good point you make there because for a lot of photographers that'll be listening to this is is you know they're kind of um, they want to be better photographers, so they're struggling. And and look, one of the best pieces of advice you can give any photographer is don't judge on don't judge it against other people's work. Judge it on your past work and see how far you've come. Mm. And then look at how you've improved. And I think we all go back and look at shots that we took five years ago and cringe that we think, oh, had, had we, what were we thinking? Mm. Um, and we posted that on social media and put our name to it. I mean, but that's, that's what happened. Mm. Yeah. So what's your current, your current kind of um, camera setup? What type of cameras are you currently using and lenses and that type of stuff? Oh, I, I'm... Um I think I've gone through what they, uh, I think they regarded as gas. Yes, yeah. Gas, gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> Had a bit of that over, over the years. Um, but oh, I have a, a 1DX, which is my favourite. Yep. Absolute favourite. Um, and then the Canon 85mm 1.4. Um, those two together. Um, Beautiful combination. Yeah, yeah, and it's just Particularly for that—that's my go-to for a fashion parade, uh, if I can. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, because of the t- type of photograph I'm always chasing a fashion parade, I end up have to go to a seventy to two hundred. Um, but it, uh, but equally, that's another beautiful lens as well. It is. Oh, it is definitely. But um, you can't beat a prime. Is what no, and, and the prime focuses such so sharper and so quicker. It's quicker and it's better at it. Only minuscule, but it's still better. I think, look, anyone who's listening to this who, who shoots predominantly Zoom, mm. um, who hasn't shot a Prime, should go and borrow or rent mm. or do something because Primes are, Prime lenses are my favourite lenses. Like if you're shooting something, I just love what you can do with a Prime lens. It's just something about the quality of the image. The control, like you said, the, the speed on the on the focus is usually really good, and especially a fast prime. Mm. You know, they are just a joy to shoot with, and you can understand why some photographers will just put a, you know, a, um, a thirty-five mil prime lens on their camera and shoot a huge amount of stuff with it, mm. um, because it is, you know, it is a, a great way of shooting. Mm. So you've got the the one DX, like I said, is a bit of a, a legendary camera, mm. and I think it's it's made itself as a it's kind of the benchmark that a lot of cameras are measured to. Mm. So, what other bodies and stuff you've got? That five uh, DSR. It, it's it, it produces crystal clear images, yeah. it, it, but not something you'd use with a runway because it just doesn't have the fast shutter shutter speed that you need yep. uh, for a runway. Um, but to do landscape photography with and um, portrait staged type photos. Um, it's beautiful, and and it's what I used also when I was flying over Lake Air. Okay, um, it's fifty megapixel. Pixel. Um, when you when you're from height, um, if if you can't zoom far enough, um, at least you've got fifty megapixel to play with. To yeah, crop and what, if you need. what what lens were you shooting with that in that situation? What did you have on the front of the camera on that? Um, Seventy to two hundred. Yep, uh, but I also had a um, 1.4 teleconverter on that I put on. Yep. And, and it's interesting because um, I had an opportunity a few years back to go with uh, the Canon Collective on a hot air balloon. Mm. And I was on the second group, mm. and I'm really thankful that I was on the second group because everyone thinking wide, 
lenses. You're going up, you're going to shoot all this landscape. Mm. But when you have a couple of thousand feet, well, you know, everything's wide. <laughs> everything. You need, you know, So that some seven said to me, take some, take some big zooms, and I ended up taking up my hundred to four hundred, mm. and I got some cracking shots of that, which I didn't think to use it. But again, it, you know, getting that that feedback from mm. the people went before. So at the moment, the gear that you currently got, that kind of works for all the situations that you kind of find yourself shooting or? Um, well, I've just, I've just come back from a week in Hong Kong and I went to Hong Kong with a EOSR. Yep. And, the and that's 20- the, new, the new mirrorless from Canon. And I must say, when, the, when, the, when I first tried the EOSR, it didn't do anything for me. Um, I just thought, oh, well, you know, it's... It's all right, but it's it I just didn't didn't grab me as such. But yeah. anyway, um, a week with it in Hong Kong, and that's all I took. I just took the camera body and the camera lens. I didn't take any other lenses. I didn't. Yeah. So which, oh, which, I had a little flash, little uh, flash with me as well, in case I needed of a, of a to use something there. But I didn't want to take lenses with me because. So what lens did you have on that body? The twenty four one hundred five R. They are for the yeah, yeah. built for that camera. Yep. Yeah. And I must say that I just think the it's brilliant. I've fallen in love with it. Yeah. It, um, the the only I, I can only pick one fault with it, and that's probably the IT side of it is that you don't have that immediate backup. Yeah, it's not a dual. Um, yep. It's not a dual card camera. Yeah. Um, I always feel a little bit a little bit vulnerable, and I think look anyone anyone comes from an IT background where you know, your first rule of thumb is backup, backup, backup. Exactly. You know? mm. um, because if you lose it, it's just the pain's just too great. Mm. And I think that's, um, that's going to be one of the challenges for all, the, I think, the camera manufacturers, I mean, um, to get um, you know, that redundancy built into the camera. Yeah, yeah. and, and it's, it's not so much, it's not just, be, like, cards are, are very, very, very reliable. And it's not the fact of, you know, a card's going to fail on you. And it's not that at all. It's like, because like, for instance, sake, when I finish a fashion product, I've got two cards and they both, re- they both got, they're a copy of each other. I take yeah. one out of the camera and I hand it to my wife. She puts it in her bag. Yeah. If I'm walking down the Queen Street Mall and someone takes that camera off my shoulder, yeah. I, I, I've lost everything. Yes. But I've immediately got that back up because well, what do you say? You just can't ring up the director of the fashion parade who's just had you there and say, oh, look, I'm very sorry, yeah. but um, my camera got stolen on the way home. Yeah. They go, well, okay, well, I still want the photos. And look, and it's, it's, it's sad that that does happen because I've heard of times when wedding photographers finished a wedding, hmm. put all the gear in the car, gone off to do something else, car gets broken into, the gear gets stolen, and there's the couple's wedding images mm. all gone. Yep. Totally gone. So it is something It is something for people listening to think about, you mm. know, you know if you're shooting something that can't be repeated, mm. um, you do need to have a plan in place to, to back it up. So on those cards, are you shooting raw and JPEG or just purely just, raw? Just purely raw. Just purely raw? Yeah. yeah. And and um, the, the uh, there's times when you, you're, even for your personal stuff, do you shoot raw or do you shoot? I shoot raw, yeah, all, all the time. Yep. Uh, I, I do have a couple of compact cameras, um, Canon G1X. Yep. Mark yeah. II, one of those. So one sitting over there. No, yep. it must be G G seven. Anyway, the little one's got the flip out screen. Yeah, but it, you can connect it to your iPhone to to your phone. Yep. Uh, and I shoot JPEG in that because it's I have JPEG and RAW in it because it's much easier to pull the JPEG onto your phone, quickly edit it in Snapseed, and then you can post it online. And, and it's great if you're away, so that 
you know, family and that at home can see what you're up to, and, or you can send them a quick photograph. Yeah. I mean, we can we can get photographs around the world now in thirty seconds, or two e- seconds, really. even less. That's right. Good in that you know, from from your phone. Yeah. Um, phones are great cameras too now. I mean, like, you know, I don't. I'm unfortunately, I don't know how much longer the compact camera will be around for. But because yeah, phones, like, what's the latest? Google phones got dual oh. lenses on it. Yeah, it's like the the, new, the iPhone 10 has got the dual lens system, mm. and I mean, I recently got one, and I'm I must admit I'm kind of uh, pretty blown away by what it can do. Like, it, it's a it's a pretty mm. capable camera. I mean, obviously, um, and even sometimes in difficult lighting, it actually doesn't do a half decent job. No. And I think that's going to be the challenge for the future. I mean, the um, the future for camera technology. I mean. You talked about you know shooting when you're at school with the Pentax style of stuff, and you know we've kind of all shot with the you know the full frame Canon type stuff, and and um, but it's the market's changing, and mm. I think the you know what we're going to be shooting with in ten years from now, it's going to be has, probably hasn't been invented yet, mm. uh, but it's obviously going to look very different mm. um, and different feel. Um, I wanted to talk about, we were talking about, you know, your cards and you, you kind of have a bit of a What do you do for backup? Because this is another area people are always interested in. How do you back up your images? What you got a process? Being IT, I imagine that you would have a... Yeah, I, I do. I um, Once once I've got two copies of those, um, and when I say two copies, I have a master server drive at home, a NAS. Um, yep. It has a copy on it and also have a portable hard drive. Yeah. Um, and in, I've got a fireproof safe box at home. Yep. And the, and the portable hard drives stay in there all the yep. time. I, I kind of got a, a situation, I shoot, I keep, um, I shoot two cards mm-hmm. and I shoot um, raw to one card and I shoot JPEG to the other. Mm-hmm. And I archive the JPEG and I put the raw onto, onto a computer then they get put onto a NAS drive and then I transfer them onto portable drives, which there's a you know a fireproof safe here that we mm. put those drives in. So I kind of do, um, you know, put them in a few different places, mm. obviously. And then the other thing what I do is is the the, the JPEGs are my kind of get out of jail if everything else fails. Mm. And I've also got that in a fireproof, <laughs> yeah, a fireproof um, case. So basically, you try and do because I think the thing is once you've lost it, mm. there's nothing you can do. I mean, and I've still got. I've got quite a big, uh, you know, collection of negatives and um, and slides. I shoot, I just shoot a lot of transparencies, and I've been slowly transferring them on onto digital, which is a really painful process. So, I mean, you've got your, you kind of got your workflow worked out. You've got your um, um, things. Is there anything that in photography that you haven't done yet that you'd like to have a crack at? Is there any kind of Really, I'm quite happy with with what I what I do. Um, I, I wouldn't I like. I, I've entered some images in the AIPP okay. awards. Yeah. Um, so far, I haven't got that silver or gold. I, yep. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind a couple of those. Yeah. Is that something you'd like you, for your own personal satisfaction? Yeah, that's just a personal, my own personal brag. I, I wouldn't mind a silver or a gold. Yep. AIPP award. Yep. Um, so I got. Uh, what category did you do it in the fashion or the motorsport categories, or did you do it in something completely different? Uh, no, I did it in travel last year, um, and eighty. I think it's eighty-one or eighty-two. Eighty-one, I think, silver. Yes, yep. Uh, I got to seventy-nine. So. Oh, you're close. Anyway, 
You, you wish someone had challenged it for you. Yeah, I know. But it, so anyway, that was that was that was the overall score was twenty was seventy nine. I think someone had given me an eighty two, which was great. But anyway, didn't quite yeah, because it's an averaging system. So yeah, mm. yeah. So so it's only something for my own personal. So yeah, this here we are, two thousand nineteen. We'll we'll go again. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's worth it's something to work work towards. Obviously, too. Like a lot of people put a lot of effort into trying to capture something for. Uh, the appers to, to put together a decent kind of image. Mm. Um, have you entered any other type of competitions or you haven't really worried? No, not really. No, that, that's, that's the only one. I mean, in saying, in saying that the first time uh, I ever went to an AOPP, they have the um, uh, these critique nights. Yep. And for anyone who wants feedback on their photograph, um, you can go along to one of the AOPP nights. You don't even need to be a member. Um, you, you pay ten dollars. Um, you submit. You can submit up to three images, and they guarantee to critique two of them yep. in, in the night. Uh, and you get five judges. Five AOPP judges will get up and look at your image and give you feedback on what they think. Can that be quite brutal? Oh, it, it is. It, it is, Steve. But you've got to um, you've got to accept that. Yeah. I mean, like. You can put your photograph on Instagram and you get a hundred likes. And you think, oh, this is all right. Yeah. Um, and then you, you know, you can then start developing your photography around that for that that instant gratification, so to speak, on Instagram. But um, yeah, if you want to produce that photograph that has got the wow factor. Yeah, and that that someone remembers that photograph. Mm. No, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of great photos to pop on Instagram, but they are only little. Yeah, they are only little and. You know, there's the old saying, it's never a photograph until it's been printed. Yes, yeah. Uh, and, and a photograph does look better when it's printed. Because when it, when you look at it on Instagram, you know, your eyesight's different to mine. You might have your screen brighter than mine or, yep. or vice versa. And put put your phone next to my phone, and they're two different. They look two totally different photographs. Right. Yeah, w- within reason. But you know, when it's printed and it's up on the board there, and, um, and oh, that- I think anyone who wants to get decent feedback on their photographs to move forward um they really should consider something like that now have you been able to use that feedback to improve your image yes definitely yeah so that was a good kind of a good exercise for you to be able to to understand i suppose what the judges are looking for in those images and to get a bit of understanding how to to read an image oh and like even like because it's a critique night it's not a judging night that they they have they they say they will actually tell you Oh, but if you'd done this, if you hadn't cropped it so tight or you should have cropped it a bit more. Um, and then, then they're all there, like they have a break halfway through the night and you can actually go and talk to the judge and say, well, yeah, I thought it looked good because of this. You said it should, you said, you know, yep. f- that it was would look better if it was cropped. Why? And they're all happy to say, this is my opinion. At the end of the day, it is only an opinion. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, f- photography is subjective. Yeah, I mean, what you like and what I like can be totally two different. totally different things. I mean, and and that's why sometimes you get challenges at, um, at things like the appers, where one judge will see a whole lot more in the image than mm. the other four judges, and will be arguing the case that no, this image is worth more. Mm. It was interesting because I I haven't done the put anything into the appers, but I did last year for the first time put some into the local partner of a show. My wife kept saying you should put some images mm. in. And I, and I put some images in. Anyway, I was lucky enough in the A grade to take out um, first place in action. It was a um, it was a football photo. It was Queensland Reds. It was taken at a Cannon Collective event, mm-hmm. on the field event. 
And I also took out third place for action as well, which was actually a water drop um, action shot. Anyway, so they had a night there. You could come down and meet the judge. They did the judging the night before, so you weren't there. But then the next night, the judges were there, and you could come down and see the results. And so it was interesting because I went up to one of the judges and just said, why did that photo get win? And it was my photo, but I didn't Mm. let on it was my photo because I really wanted to hear that Mm. uh, the process. So he went through this photo, and he was just pulling out this and this, and he said, oh, look, there's a, and there's, there's three people in the photo. Mm. So there's there's a girl trying to tackle a girl who's got the ball. There's another girl running behind him, and, and, and she can see that she's never going to get there, so she's kind of spent. And he's actually re- telling me the story that's happening, you know, the determination on this one, mm. the, the determination on the person with the ball running, and then this person here who's got, got to that point and thought, you know, it's mm. time to give up. Mm. And he said all those elements all worked within that in that picture and they said that's why he'd won and that was kind of good because it kind of i took that on board thinking mm. i must remember those points <laughs> yeah because they because they're useful and that type of stuff so so where do, where do you see yourself say five years from now with your photography do you think you'll be still doing the same type of stuff or oh, it's, hard, it's really really hard to say steve because it, it, i never set out to, to do what i'm doing now um yeah. I've just sort of really fallen into it. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be a travel photographer and get paid for it. Yep. That would be fantastic, but those, I jobs, think, those jobs don't exist. Well, they're hard. They're, there's a few of them out there, but they're not many, but they're pretty hard to come by. But, I mean, um, I mean, do you think you've been lucky too because you've been made some good contacts? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that that's a, a key. I mean, photography is a business. Mm. You know, as much as we love the artistic side and, and getting the picture if it's going to pay the bills it has to be run like a business mm. and a lot of people don't understand that sometimes um, the relationships that you've got with people who work in that industry that you can tap into mm. that's been invaluable I'm sure for you oh definitely I mean like um, I've aligned myself pretty well with Canon Australia um, and the support that you get from Canon is um, it's second to none um, they have a great um, service centre. Yep. Um, they also have the the uh, learning facility through Canon Collective, which and I, and I, know I'm involved with. Yeah, so. and I wanted to touch on that because with the not only have you done your, your photography where you've gone out and done it, but you've actually been involved and actually done a few Canon Collective events that you've kind of orchestrated and put together as well. Yeah. Um, that of course has been with the, with the drag racing. Yep. Um, and we've also done uh, we did the Mercedes Benz Fashion Festival, which you came yep. along to last year. Um, yeah, we've done light painting down the Gold Coast with um, spinning steel wool. Well, yep. All that. There's been, it's been quite a lot, and yeah, you know, at each of those events, you get um, twelve, twenty people come along that yep. you've you've never met before um, and you get to know different people and everybody's got got their own take on photography and it's just because they've only got two years experience and you might have 15 years experience there's always something to learn from everyone Um, be it good or bad I mean um, (laughs) someone might tell you something that didn't work and well there you go you've and it might be something you've never done, and it's just sort of kind of like, yeah, I remember that, but yep. uh, I remember not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I think we, that's what we all, we all learn from each other, but there is actually a, a gratification of being actually able to give something back as well, like being able to organise those events and 
get people because I know some of the events that you're talking about that you know th- these are people who've never had any exposure to that type of photography before mm. and some of them have done amazingly well like they got in there and were able to to deal with it and and that's what helps people become better photographers getting out of your comfort zone if you shoot exactly. the, if you shoot the same stuff day mm. in day out um, that's you're going to be at that level um, yeah and I think the thing is what people need to kind of take away that if you do shoot something a little bit different that's outside mm. your comfort zone is that you do learn something there that you can apply to something else that you're doing because mm. that's photography you know it's really about kind of just getting this knowledge base together um, you know you learn all these like you said you tuck things away in your memory so yeah don't try that because someone else tried it <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and, and and we all kind of all kind of learn from that um, what type of advice if someone came to you and asked you for some advice um, who's just starting out in photography there's something that you'd better share with them to you know, a bit of advice and maybe things that you did in the past that you kind of realise now I could have done this better or what? Um, I think you need to learn that you need to learn the fundamentals of, um, you know, the, the three shutter speed aperture and, and your ISO. You need to learn those and, and know exactly how they affect a photograph. Um, composition, composition's probably not something that I can teach you, or you can teach me, because we've we've got our own opinion on composition. And you know, if you think it looks good, well, it, that's up to you. Yep. I mean, every it's a everybody has their own opinion on what looks good, um, but you do need to know those fundamentals on how the, how the camera works. And and it, whatever camera got, whatever camera you've got, that's the best one to have. Yes, yeah. And it really doesn't matter what you've got if you're happy with it, but as long as you know that camera inside out and you've got. And you know the full functions on what you've got actually in there in your hand, um, and you know those three fundamentals. I think that's that's the main thing. Well, I think you demonstrated that before because you're shooting. You're talking about yeah, you know, you, you over go to camera is your one DX, mm. and then but you went away on a trip recently and you took your your EOS R, your mirrorless camera, mm. and you had a great experience with that camera. Um, and it's interesting, like you said, the, the camera you've got. Like I said, don't. I think people get kind of too hung up in the idea that if I get a better camera, my photography will improve. But I mean, have you? I mean, I, I know that kind of be a an urban myth. It doesn't really work like that. Not at all. No, I mean you. Um, yeah, the, the little compact cameras, you, you can take just as good a photograph on that. You might have to photograph it slightly differently and, and use a different technique, but you can still get some great photographs on it. Um, on on some of these small compact cameras, they they shoot in RAW. Yes, they've got timers on them um some some will do like star trails in camera and stuff exactly you know, so which, there's, there's so many that's why that's yeah as i said before you need to know the features of your camera yep. to get the best out of it but um you know the better the camera yes things are better but how big do you want to blow that photograph up if you're not taking a picture to be a billboard well, you don't need to go to a 50 megapixel camera. That's right, because the, re- the resolution they use on the web is quite low. It's actually surprisingly low how you put a picture up and it still looks pretty pretty damn good mm. uh, until someone you know, steals it and downloads it and tries to print it and then they realise that. Yeah, I mean, then, like f- Facebook, um, Instagram and all those, the, you know, the recommended size is 1,500 pixels wide. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, you can make a great photograph out of any camera yeah. with that. Um, but you can't print that. Yeah. Have you printed on many of your photos? Have you actually 
community yeah, management. Come around and have a look at my workshop one day. It's full right. of the whole walls full of them. Excellent. And I change them from time to time too, as the as the year. I think oh, no, I'll take that one down now. And yeah, um, once again, I use the Canon Pro One One Hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does a great job. Yes. Um, and so it's just handy to have that there. And I think you learn from like if you've got them on your wall, you, you learn from them too to to look at them. Whereas you post things on social media and they're gone. Yes. Know. Well, they're not. That's right. You're not seeing it. And that's right. Unless you're flicking back for your feed, you're not seeing mm. it. And I must admit, at home in my um, study at home, I've got a couple of pictures that I've printed out and I've put on the wall. Mm. So every time I walk in there, I see them. And um, they're a part of a, a personal project that I've been working on for a while. And it's kind of to, to keep remembering to keep moving mm. forward with that personal project. And if the, if I didn't, if I had the pictures on the, um, you know, phone or whatever. I just wouldn't go back and look at them, but they're just there. Mm. So, well, Richard, thank you for coming in. Look, it's been fantastic. Probably getting a little bit of an insight in, like I said, uh, um, you know, we've had a few photographers on that all shoot different different style of stuff, mm. and I think it's always um, you know interesting to hear people. And there's just one, I know one thing, one job you've just done recently, um, which was a little bit of a, a unique um, photographic assignment, and that was you had to document a house being moved. Oh, for my client's sons, yeah. Actually, they they've just rung me uh, today, and I'm going to um, doing two more for them. They 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 seem to want to keep a catalogue now when they move houses, and that was that was exciting. That yeah. really was exciting to but have to capture that house while it's moving, and you just don't realise how fast it happens. Like yep. once those trucks go under the under the the house, and the house is cut into three, and then. Off it goes, and you're going down the road at 80 kilometres an hour, and this with, thing moves. With, with a third of a house on them. Yeah, and then they get, like, we, uh, it was from uh, down Wyndham Way uh, that the house went from there, and it went over to Ashgrove. And the planning that had gone into that, like months beforehand, they'd gone through, and they knew that trees had to be removed from footpaths, etc. And, and, of course, when you get into Ashgrove, you've got the, it's an old suburb with the uh, overhead power lines, and then... Yeah out these runners jump and they push the wires up and the house goes underneath and they run up the road and just to capture all that for them uh, and then just take photographs of it going down the highway um, of my I use my VW Beetle which has got a uh, uh, it's a convertible so that was the idea it, be, it became a shooting platform it did but you've got to, you've still got to actually Bear in mind, you can't just take a photograph of that truck going down the road with the house on it. You actually need to wait for a street sign or a direction sign that that actually will give that house a place of reference. Yes. That you can look at this photograph and go, here's a third of a Queenslander going through Spring Hill. Yes. Um, Because you know there's the sign that says, you know, veer to the left of the Normandy five ways. There's there's that place of reference. So that, that, that was quite... I've done it once now. I'm actually quite excited about doing it. Uh, so I've got next Sunday night, um, they're moving one from Ashgrove out to Narangbar, I think it is. And then the following Tuesday, they're moving one from somewhere. That's Mackay and Sons out in Narangbar. Yeah, yeah. And just the logistics of the whole, like the police, the police, you know, to capture the police yep. leading and closing roads off and bikes are going. The whole thing's amazing. You'll have to come out with me one night on it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that because yeah. it, it, it sounds like... Midnight something... and it's just like, go, and it's just <laughs> fast. You, know, you don't have time to sort of rest. Yeah. No, that's quite exciting, that, the, the house moving. 
I think we'll leave it on that note. But mm-hmm. I think again, thank you for coming in yeah, today no, and, for me. And, and sharing. And I'm sure, like I said, um, I think every time we do these these podcasts, someone listens to it and they they pick up something and they mm-hmm. they take away a point. Which I think, as photographers, we all like to try and help each other. So look, um, all the best for your photography, and you know, I look forward to seeing some more pictures of the houses on the move. And yeah, next Sunday nights. Next, next Sunday, Sunday, Sunday night, I'll be, I'll be watching your Instagram feed. Well, we're putting up some of your details on the podcast, mm-hmm. where people can go back and have a look at your um, some of your work and get a bit of an idea what you're up, up to. Okay, thanks Thank very you. much, Steve. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Photo Mission Exposure. Be sure to tune in soon. Oh,